Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hey there, church planners and other sundry folk out there. Welcome to the Church Planner Podcast with me, one of your hosts, Robert Frazier, and my one of my dearest friends, Tim Galley. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Something What's different that? about you. I, I feel like uh, there's like a, a new a new lightness about you and an aura radiating off of you. Are are you finished with your sabbatical? That's that is what happened. Um, but that that aura is exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> we opened so I got I got done with sabbatical yesterday. Today was my first day back, and it's also the day we opened the preschool that I did a you know multi hundred thousand dollar remodel on this summer so you know it, tomato tomato right <laughs> well we've been talking about this stuff and like how you're going to come back from sabbatical completely different and with a complete different take on work-life balance so like i imagine today you woke up you spent like an hour in prayer <laughs> you probably spent like another hour singing hymns because i know you and, and you probably had like zero meetings today uh-huh 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 um you wrote a sermon that you're not going to preach for, you know, four weeks out because you're just you're just getting ahead of things. Yep, you got you got it. That's incredible, Tim. The the astute awareness you have of me tells me you, you 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 care. That really. That's, I know your brother. <laughs> so, so, tell me about the day. Well, um, I actually was pretty busy. I had uh, so my my business, uh, our marketing agency we signed a big new client and we're doing five um commercial campaigns for them this year and number one started filming today and so i i got up early and got ready for that and filmed all morning and then i was back at a staff meeting for our church where my first staff meeting back actually i i told the team that i want to include more liturgy in our worship and i also added on to the apostles creed I don't know if you're allowed to, but I added oh, yeah. like you just like a year. danza. <laughs> yeah. Every year, every year we do that as well. Um, we got one guy who's got like a gigantic Apostles Creed back tattoo. Uh, he's running out of back. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't add any more. It's going down. It's going down. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, you, I, I did. I actually did write an a, an addendum to the Apostles' Creed. This basically like, because we believe these things, this is how we'll live. Because that that made sense to me. I don't know if it'll make sense to other people, but if you if you want a copy, I'll I'll send it to you. You can use it. Um, I'm calling it the Disciples' Oath. I, I, like I don't know that. if that's like a good thing, but that's what I'm calling it for now. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So yeah, well, it's been it's been wild. And then I then I had a meeting and with a with a gal that I meet with and coach and then um had soccer practice this afternoon and then dropped my daughter at Girl Scouts, put my kids to bed, and here I am. So pretty normal Tuesday night, man. What have you been up to? Yeah, it's I mean it's honestly somewhat similar. Um, you know, 
at our church, we're getting ready for like all of our fall kickoff events, our fall vision trainings. Our, um, so we're shooting videos. We're, you know, creating our, you know, our talking points that we, you know, we share and distribute across our campuses. Um, you know, bunting down all the things that we want to say and do this fall. And, and we're even talking about Advent. Like, not, not that we're like so far ahead. Oh, like, look at you guys. Hello. Talking yeah. Advent in September, that that only means it's going to be worse for everybody come December. You start planning early and it gets worse, not better. <laughs> it, it won't be worse if we don't change our minds. <laughs> that, that's our promise that we change our minds all year. No, you start this early, the scale's bigger. Like I'm telling you, you start earlier and then you can do more stuff and you do more stuff. And then uh, Christmas is miserable for everybody. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty intense season. You know, I... I've been saying I've I've been feeling this throughout the years, and I feel it more and more this year. I'm going to start proposing that we don't kick off our fall ministries until the end of September, early October. And I'm feeling that like most people aren't, even if they are back physically, they're not emotionally back yet. Like they they can't handle all the things that that are being launched and you know reset and well and, and you guys don't start school till this week which is pretty late like across the country a lot of places start in, in august i think i think that pushes your year back for sure that's true so and then like you know like like you know like everyone like we vacation you know all summer uh, so you never have you know a full crew of staff to make the decisions that need to be made mm-hmm. so, i don't know i i feel like i'm i'm summoning the, up the courage to, like to have a serious conversation of like Let's not kick off the second week, the second Sunday every mm. year, the scale that we do. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, like, everybody wants it to get going. Like, everybody on staff wants to, like, get things moving because they feel so much inertia from the summer. It's it's hard, man. I get it. Yeah, yeah, pros and cons for sure. Well, let's, let's talk about important stuff. Forget that. Let's talk about fantasy football. Fantasy football. I mean, this <laughs> yeah. we only have two days to, to set our... Uh, our initial um our initial lineup have you have you worked on your lineup this week yet i'm stressed i'm stressed i mean is cooper cup going to be okay that's a real question uh, but who cares about that i drafted travis kelsey number 1 overall in my draft and today he was you know he 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 limped off the field with what they're saying is a hyperextended knee saw that i mean and possibly you know they they're saying acl looks like intact but they got to test it again after the swelling goes down i don't know man I'm feeling it. Uh, I'm Is feeling that. Um, in, in one of my very ambitious leagues, I, I have this one league like with my childhood friends, um, and they are cutthroat. I mean, they don't let anything slide. Um, and so, like you, you got to go extra in this league. So, like in a normal league, I wouldn't draft Jonathan Taylor because like there's too many. There's a lot of unknowns there. Yeah. yeah. Is, is he okay? Is anybody, is, is he going to play? All that stuff. But in this league. Like I, I need somebody with that type of upside to come off my bench, you know, week seven, week eight, and and help me get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he dropped like two, three rounds. I think he dropped into like the sixth or seventh round. Yeah, he and- dropped pretty far in our in ours too. I was I was surprised people. He was sitting like fourth, fourth or fifth round for us. Yeah, no, he dropped for us. So so I'm hoping stuff like that pays off. I'm feeling free on the Travis Kelsey part. Yeah, I mean. To me, he was the easy number one overall pick just because his his numbers versus the rest of the tight ends are just absurd. Like there's that's the one that's one position where you can get some real clearance from everybody else if you do it right. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at going, I could I could lose him for the first half of the season, maybe more. Oh, like how, how do you replace Travis Kelsey, man? I thought you meant like you picked him in the first round as your first pick, but you you picked him one one. One one because you look at him versus other tight ends, and it's almost like a nine point difference between him and number two per game. It's a massive drop off, and so it's like that's where you get the most leverage. Versus like number fourteen on wide receivers is actually within three points of number one on an average is what they're projecting. So it's just not like a a huge overall shift. Yeah, I don't I don't agree with that type of uh, that 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 logic. <laughs> you're questioning me i see and, yeah and i'm like look you're you're a dear dear friend so i don't want to i don't want you to feel bad about this but this is the reason why travis kelsey got hurt today your one, one is is the sole reason uh, i i buy that i don't care because i'm not a chiefs fan but <laughs> he's doing just fine like as the eighth pick every it's year 
have, have, have you seen moved up to one? Have you seen the Kelsey Brothers podcast? Have you have you watched that at all? Uh, no, it's it's ridiculously funny, and like they bring on guys like Julian Edelman and like like NFL insiders to tell stories and talk about stuff, and it is phenomenal. Probably one of the best podcasts I've been listening to lately. So you should go listen to that. I forgot what it's called. It's like the Kelsey. J- Jason's the one who does it, and Travis comes on with him. Oh, that's cool. So I got I got that one cutthroat podcast. Uh, sorry, that one cutthroat fantasy football league with my with my friends. You have got other one. podcasts that are cutthroat. That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I got one fantasy football league. It's like really intense. My neighbor's league. You know, there's a bunch of us dads. You know, we 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 draft. Um, but yet yesterday, uh, they launched a a staff only fantasy oh. football league, and I would yeah. tell you three or four, maybe even five people in that on that on our staff league. I've never played fantasy football before. So they just responded to the email saying, yeah, I'll, I'll give this a try. And so we're in the draft room and I, I commend them for this. I'm, I'm not making fun of them for this. I, I commend them for this. They're like, they basically have a couple of Google searches of fantasy football knowledge uh, for like a half an hour. And then we get into the actual draft room. And, and one of my friends is like, so how do you actually draft the player? Like, <laughs> you have a football going. Like you gotta, you gotta select the player, and there's a big blue button that says draft. Says draft. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see. It. You only got thirty seconds to find it. <laughs> it's so intense. Oh, I so, mean, like to that league and then that. the very first fantasy football draft you have is in 2023. Are they young people or are these old people who have like just never done it? They're, 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 they cover a spectrum of ages from from the 30s to their 60s. Do you remember your first fantasy football draft? I do. I do. What year was it? Uh, 2004. Okay. It, it was online, though. Oh, okay. My first one was not online. My first one was an Excel spreadsheet. And we had a commissioner who had to do a bunch of math on Monday mornings with like the box scores. And that was that was like probably 0203 kind of era. Yeah, man. That's crazy. That's a lot of years. Well, to bring it back to the Church Plunder podcast, you know, we, are. We, we tried we tried to launch our own fantasy football league. It, it could have been the best fantasy football league anyone's ever been a part of. It could have. We didn't get enough people. Nope. And I, I blame our listeners. Like if you're out there and you didn't sign up, we blame you. Those those of you who did were thankful, but we did not get a critical mass. And so we are going to still talk about fantasy football week in and week out. And you're just not going to be able to be a part of it. And I want you to think about what, what you're doing with your life. If you're out there sharing the gospel instead of joining a fantasy football league, I want you to rethink like what you're doing and then probably affirm what you're doing. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to say it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Just like re, reassess and then affirm. Just I want you to rethink it. <laughs> yeah, we've got new goals around here. I mean, it used to be to to launch new churches in needed places to, to meet people that you know haven't haven't found Jesus yet. But that's second now. Next year, we <laughs> want to, a, a, a church planting podcast, uh-huh, fantasy uh-huh. football league. It's, it's go time, friends. You, you know guys- what? Here's, here's what I'll say. Like this, we're joking, but all, all seriousness aside, there are, I've, I've had a couple of years where I have, you know, I can go deep into the rabbit hole of sport and that's easy. Like you can, you like every time you stop, you can grab ESPN and like read the latest drama in the sports world. And it can be all consuming. I had a couple of years where I said, I'm going to swear off college football. I'm going to swear off the pros and I'm just going to not let that consume me. Like same thing with news. You know, you have those seasons where you just kind of set it aside. But what I realized, especially living in a town like Boston, was that I did not have something to talk about with everyone. Because everyone in Boston is a sports fan. Even if they're not a sports fan, they still are a Bruins fan. They're still a Patriots fan. They're still a Red Sox fan. They're still a Celtics fan. And what I would say is that if you are a guy, and even if you're a woman in ministry, that sport transcends almost everything. Most people have some sort of sport that they're into some sort of activity that they're connected to, especially men. And if you want to connect with them, sport is a really easy entree to conversation. And it's a missional imperative to say, if I can find an in like that, that's so easy, it's worth at least being nominally connected with sport 
to understand a little bit of it, especially in a sports driven culture like America is. I think that's that's like going if you if you're a missionary, you're going to say, OK, what do these people love? And like if you, if you move to Spain and don't know anything about soccer and hate soccer, mm. that would be missionally wrong. If you were to move there and say, I hate soccer, I'm not going to talk about soccer with people, football, if you will, in Spanish. Here in America, if you say I hate sport, what you're saying is I don't care about these people and I don't care enough to actually know about them. And so it's it's it may be more important than like we we joke about it being dumb and not very important. But in all reality, all seriousness, sports, something to really consider missionally in our culture. And so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that, Tim? Is that is that online? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I resonate with that on a few levels. It, it's it's probably not. It's probably a hair overstated. Um, as, as I'm want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, I mean, it really does create conversation and opportunities with people. Um, I think the number of times where I've been able to normalize myself, where somebody knows I'm a pastor, they, they in, in my world, like it, that's kind of a scary thing. Mm-hmm. What is a Protestant pastor? Uh, and, and things like sports, um, e- even enjoying responsibly a beer, uh, have have created some normalcy around me that have allowed me then to engage in deeper conversations. So I, re- I I've experienced what with what you are describing. Yeah, and there may be places where it's not important. <clears throat> like if you're in L.A., those people are heathens. They don't love God and they don't love sports. <clears throat> look at look at how they treat their football teams. Okay, so you you don't if you're in L.A., learn fashion or whatever they do in L.A. I'm, I don't know. Learn if you're not into movies in L.A., that's probably a problem. Um, you know, let's say, I don't know where, where else would not be into sports in America. I'm trying to think of like a culture that's like maybe Vermont (laughs) is like, even, even in Vermont, they're into hockey, you know, like you you don't even hockey and skiing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's good. I think we should put a pin on this one here. Yeah. We we should talk about this later, but, uh, okay. Great. Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Well, I'm really excited about this week's topic. Uh, we, we, we want to continue our conversation on church planting 101 and how, how to get it, how to get your church lifted off the ground. And today we want to begin an important conversation on fundraising. Uh, so only one of us has actually done that between the two of us, got a church financially lifted off the ground. So I'm going to uh, ask more questions uh, this time this time around, and we're going to put Robert a little bit more on the hot seat. Uh, but you're probably, as you're dreaming about church planting, and, and many of you are further down the path, and some of you are just beginning this path, and and maybe some of you are considering church planting, but one of the hurdles in your in your thought life is, how am I going to fund this thing? Mm-hmm. That would make you normal. That would make you responsible. Uh, you have to t- provide for your family, and you also need this church plant to flourish. Uh, so, Robert, um, I want to invite you just to speak into that part. Uh, when did you start thinking about the financial aspects of of starting your ministry? Well, I think you've got to, we almost have to pull back and ask, where where are you coming from financially? Like, what's where's the background that you're coming from when you're stepping out to plant a church? Because there's there's kind of different different places people are coming from. Um, you and I, we worked at a mega church and a lot of, a lot of people plant churches used to work at larger churches. That's, that's actually pretty normal. And maybe, maybe a third, maybe even more than that are coming from a larger context. And uh, I don't know about other places, but in the context we were in, in, in Boston, we were, we were very well paid. I, I think for, for a church role, for a full-time role, we were paid in like, commensurate with a middle-class kind of lifestyle, especially if you have dual income, you could, you could make life work in an inexpensive place. Um, And so, so for a lot of people leaving the security of that full-time job should give you pause because you're going to look out and go, we're going to plant a church and we have to have a hundred adults by the first week just to be able to pay me next month. (laughs) You're going to be like, well, that's, that's a, that's a risky, risky proposition. Um, and now, now some of you are coming from the workforce 
some of your second career and you felt this call and and you decided I'm going to prepare and I'm going to step out. Maybe you've been an elder at a church or maybe like some sort of a church planning resident and you've been preparing yourself to to step out and plant and you have some sort of outside income. Um, and statistically, it would say that even even for evangelicals, most of you probably come from dual income households. Um, both of you probably work at least some just to make the the bills each month, especially if you're living in a, a city or a coastal area, just the, the finances work that way. And so where you're coming from actually, make, I think, makes a big difference as you answer this question. And another piece of this question is really going to come, come down to um, what's what's the goal? What's God calling you to in church planting? And I know that uh, many church planters, they're going to step out and they're going to say, well, I have to raise X number of dollars because I need X number of months of runway to be able to grow a church to X number of people so that it's a self-supported church. Now, many people kind of fall into the launch large model. Have you ever heard that, Tim, like launch large model? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the launch large model, these are guys, you know, most likely with, uh, let's say, large organizations like um, Stadia or ARC or Orchard Group, some of, some of these groups who are really focused on building large self-funded churches that are reproducing at a, a pretty quick pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them will say, okay, we're going to give you 50, 100,000, 200,000. I know one church planter that raised over a million dollars for a oh. church plant last year. And their expectation is by year two, they have over 300 adults who are engaged in their community so that they're able to then not only pay for all their bills, but be working on a capital campaign and putting $50,000 back into the next church plant. So it's kind of like a, a pay it forward kind of model. And for those guys, it really comes down to, can I raise the money? And the answer is probably you could. If you feel called and equipped and you are gifted as a preacher, teacher, leader, and you have you come from a church background, you could probably get out there and raise enough money. Now, the question is, how much money do you need to raise? And if I put you on the spot, Tim, and I said, okay, you're going to plant a church in, you know, let's say New Hampshire in a year and a half. This is not happening. This is hypothetical. Um, let's say, you know, you got picked. Somebody put their finger in your chest and you had to guess how much money it's going to take to plant that church and be able to pay, you know, your salary for two or three years. What what would that number be that you'd come up with? I, you know, I, would, I would assume that you need a $250,000 budget every year um minimum to to be able to sleep at night two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year okay um that would so if you if you figure two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and the average adult gives about a hundred dollars a month per adult that would mean that you'd have to have 200 adults basically who are who are tithing giving units to be at $250,000. So if you're thinking like a a two or three year kind of runway, you figure full full funding first year 250,000, half funding the second year, so another 125,000 you're at um 375 and then it maybe another 75 the third year to kind of even you out and let's say so you're right at $400,000. I think for a launch large model that's about what you need, somewhere between two hundred fifty and five hundred thousand dollars to plant a church. Um, what we've seen in our city, um, we've we've seen seventy church plants over the last six years, and there's been about a half dozen who have had that kind of a funding model. They're always coming from places outside of the Northwest, almost always. There's yeah. one that came from the Northwest. They're coming from the South. They're coming from the Midwest. They're coming from Colorado or Phoenix. These are more more deeply Christian areas with larger funding sources. Sure. Um, and we've seen three of those guys burn out in our city. So wow. half half of that group has burned out. Um, and so so let me like start by saying if you're thinking that funding is going to actually save you from 
the stresses that are going to keep you from ministry. What I would say is that funding could ease some of the pain of starting, but the more funding there is, the more expectation there is. The more funding there is, the more expectation there is. Love it. Yeah. So, so think about um, it's it's much like a, a startup, a business startup. And when when you talk to Silicon Valley investors, what they'll tell you is the only thing worse than being underfunded for a startup is being overfunded for a startup. Interesting. Because an overfunded startup will make bad decisions and try to use money to solve problems rather than ingenuity. And that's a lot of times what happens in church planting is that if you have lots of money, the solution is staff and the solution is more resource and the solution is more space rather than looking around and saying, what's God brought in terms of the people, the manpower he's brought to our congregation? Instead of looking around saying, how could volunteers play these key roles? And how could we empower the average everyday person to do ministry? And so when you're stepping into ministry and funding, you really have to ask some serious questions about what what is the outcome that you're looking for? And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I like bootstrapped church planting. Okay. And it's it's going to sound counterintuitive, but I think what bootstrap church planting does is it creates resilient church planters because the only way to make it long-term in ministry is to know that God is your provider, not your donors. To know that God is the one who is caring for you and your family rather than the bank account that you've put together and the donors that you've put together. And even this this is a part of what happens in church planting is that if you have a large donor early on in church planting, they will become the voice in your community. Because right. if you lose them, what's that? Yeah, because you cannot, you cannot afford to lose that person. If you lose them, it's an existential threat to your church. Mm. So if you have somebody who gives, let's say, a thousand bucks a month and your budget is $10,000 a month and you lose that person, that's coming out of the top the top line of your budget, which is probably your income as, as a church planter. And so you never say no to that person, no matter how wrong they are, no matter how much they want to hijack the mission, no matter where they're coming from, you're going to, you're going to figure out a way to make them feel heard, not because it's a good idea, but because you feel threatened by them leaving. And so early on, th the way that we think about funding is more important than just the dollars and cents. This is about, how you think about your relationship with the father as a church planter. So I, I go on and on about that, but that's, I, that's where I want to start is like the, the question is not how much money do I need? The question is what's the, what's the outcome that God has called me to pursue? What's the mission that he's called me to? And what are the, what are the ways that he wants to lead me into that rather than using money to solve those problems? Okay. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to ask you some hard hitting questions here. First, a story. Um, I don't know. It, was, it feels like it was like 10 or so years ago, maybe more, maybe even 15 years ago. I was at this ministry conference. It was like in a missional church context. So these are my people. I, I, I was, I drank all the Kool-Aid of the missional church stuff and I don't regret it. I love the missional church at uh, conversation. And we were at this conference and we, there was a lot of attention and love and respect given to the bivocational pastors. So they had like a, a panel discussion that was set up and all, all of them had a few things in common. They were all very young. Um, they were all just passionate. They had a lot of energy. They, they, they spoke with a lot of energy and you know, I, I would describe all of them as likable. Like I, I, I knew some of them and I liked them and all of them though, they, they had, multiple sources of income. Uh, I remember one in particular, uh, yes, he was a church planter, he was a barista, and he was a web designer. Um, things that you, you can obviously relate to. And when we all hung out afterwards, and we're kind of like, you know, debriefing this and trying to, in the spirit of looking out after our friends, we were all concerned about the burnout rate that this was going to cause our friends, especially on like, like when you have an hourly role, like a barista, you know, like those, those, you, you can't, you can't side, you can't sidestep that. Yep. Yep. I would say of the four people on that panel, and I'm not, 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 I would say, I'm telling you that the four people on that panel, all four of them are no longer serving in ministry. 
Now, there's other reasons for all these things and, and some really wonderful reasons, too. So, like, great things. But those were four church plans that, that we celebrated that are no longer alive today. And I'm bummed about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How can the, the question I want to pose to you is how can we uh, uh, plant churches bivocationally um, with responsibility, uh, with care to the pastor and that family? Mm-hmm. And, and how can we make it sustainable? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, there's, there's so much there. First, I would say, so all cards on the table, I planted bivocationally. I raised about, I think it's around $45,000 before we planted to buy equipment and basically pay for rent. And then I didn't take a salary for 18 months. Actually, maybe it was probably like closer to two and a half years um, that I didn't take any income from the church. And we were able to do that because I had a small business doing, you know, marketing and video production and website design. And then my wife is also, she worked part-time, but she is in a highly paid field. And so we had, we had a lot of margin. Uh, We were able, we were able to do it because of our professional skills and our, you know, our relative wealth. So, so let me start by saying I'm coming from a privileged position and I don't recommend it for everybody. That's not for everybody. And I have worked with church planters on both sides of this equation. And I think that both sides have drawbacks and both sides have benefit. So let me start by saying um, there is a risk on both sides to be overfunded and underfunded. Mm. And those who are underfunded. So what's going to happen? There's only two reasons a church plant fails. Um, Either they run out of money which is they run out of resource to actually do the work and that that happens people just run out of money and run out of runway and can't put together the work to make it happen can't imagine doing it in a home space and so they close doors i watched two of them do that last year the other is they run out of church planter the planter themselves burns out because they're trying to they're trying to overcome the lack of income with hard work, discipline, and asking a lot of their volunteers. Now, I've seen that happen to, there's two churches in my city, one raised, uh, no joke, they spent, their denomination spent $900,000 on, it was like a bivocational, it was like a venue coffee shop and a, and a church plant all in one. They spent $900,000 on it and it failed over the course wow. of two years. And and part of that's COVID, like there's there's stories underneath that. There's another one that it was almost a quarter million dollars that they had raised and two years in walked away because he had burnt out everybody on his launch team and they just all walked away. I mean, so, so let me say like big churches fail and I've also seen several, actually maybe, maybe more than several, probably a half dozen bivocational pastors who have gotten so caught up in their work that they've stepped out of ministry and some who have stepped out of ministry because the funding wasn't there and they just needed to go back to work. That happens on both sides. So so there is no funding mechanism that's the right funding mechanism. The answer is, what is the mission God has called you to? And how can you stay faithful to that no matter where the money is and where it comes from? And so you look at Paul, at times he was supported and he lived in people's homes and money was sent to him from um, from Ephesus and from Berea and from some of these places. Um, you see Paul all throughout his training in Ephesus and in the other places he started these small businesses making tents and training church planters in tent making so that they would have a trade because in the first century there weren't churches to send them. They had to be bivocation. And so so it really comes down to your missionary context and your funding mechanism is what has God given you? What can you do with it? And what's God going to do? So so all that to say, I love, have you ever read Hugh Halter's book, Bivo? I have not. It's like a 50-page book. If you're thinking about church planting, you should read it because what he does in that book is he really walks through... Hugh, Hugh does a great job making stuff simple so that you don't you don't miss out on it when you're dumb like some of us. Uh, what he says is that when you think about a bivocational role, it needs to do 
two of three things. Okay, so think of it as a Venn diagram of three things. And okay. it has to hit at least two of these. The first is it connects with lost people. If you're doing bivocational work, I would say 99% of my evangelistic conversations happens with business contacts, almost always me coaching or consulting. That's where gospel happens in my life. And I love my job because of that. So it has some sort of connection with lost people, people far from Jesus. There's a discipleship component to it. The second is it gives you freedom. It gives you a a soft schedule that allows you lots of freedom of your time to be able to do work, to be able to do ministry. So if you have, if you have a job that is like 40 hours a week in an office and it takes a lot out of you intellectually, it's going to be tough to buy vocational church plant because it's going to take up your time and your intellect. So that's a bad fit. Now, the third piece, remember only two of these have to be true. The, The third piece is it makes lots of money. Okay. So let's, let's kind of piece through these things. So let's say you're a barista. Okay. It does, it does one of those things. Maybe two, depending on where you're at, but it, it connects you with lost people and it connects you with lost people in a great way, but you only make 15 bucks an hour and you're going to get health insurance for you, but not your family. So it's not like a great option. Um, Let's say it's a corporate job. You actually would connect with lost people and make lots of money, but you don't have lots of free time. So your mission has to become the people that you work with. That it's almost like you're planting a church with the people you work with because you're not going to have time outside of work for those other options. Um, Let's say a job like an entrepreneurial job, but it's a professional entrepreneur job. Like I I have a buddy who's a software engineer. He's takes contracts as a software engineer, makes great money and it gives him freedom of time, but it doesn't connect him with lost people. So he has to be really intentional about connecting with lost people. Now, if you can find a job that does all three, and I would say my my jobs that I have been able to choose have given me those options. Then bivalve makes complete sense. If you can only if you can find one that only gives you one, it's going to be hard to be bivocational. So that's that's one of the ways that I would frame that question: is it has to either make lots of money and connect you with lost people, or make lots of money and give you freedom so that you have time. That's really really good. All right, so I think one of the things that we talked about in our in a pre-meeting was like the context of, of like the locale of, of where you, that church plant might start. Um, so thinking through, you know, uh, rural church planting, urban church planting, suburban church planting, uh, can, can you give our listeners a sense on what they should be thinking about contingent on their context? Yeah. What, when it comes to funding, where you plant is probably the clearest indicator of how much money you'll be able to raise. Yeah. And as much, I mean, you've seen these appeals. Hey, God is calling me to the inner city of San Francisco, where only one half of 1% of one person has ever followed Jesus. <laughs> you know, and and you've seen these appeal letters that are basically I'm going to the most lost place you've ever heard of, and so you need to you need to fund me because I'm going to bring Jesus to this place. And so if you're going to a large coastal city, and you're coming from a Midwest or um, like a plate of the Bible Belt where people are happy to send you to save the godless heathens. Yep. That's going to be the, the highest amount of money you can raise is going to be that that guy. Okay. Now, if you are coming from a place like the Northwest or the Northeast, where you maybe have a, a thinner Christian background, and they're also in a missionary context, and so sending you to go plant in a place like rural Arkansas, that's going to be your lowest amount of money you're going to be able to raise where they don't understand why you're going to a rural place. They don't understand um, the poverty of the South. They don't understand why that you'd need to go to the Bible belt when there's so many lost people around them. So it's kind of like this, you know, um, this, this inverse diagram of, Mm. of the amount of money you'll be able to raise. And so location really matters, but what it really, what it really means is that where God's called you is actually going to change the context of how you're going to raise money. And that's okay. That's really okay for you to say, you know what? God's called me to go to like my, my in-laws live in a small town in uh, Northeast Oregon. 
and you've probably never been to Northeast Oregon. It's a it's a small little farming town nestled in the mountains of the Wallawa Range. And, um, you know, there's 500 people in their town and the city next to them is like 15,000 people. We lived there for a couple of years. And there's a guy who's planting an Acts 29 church in the middle of this little town where there's like five really dysfunctional churches. And it's probably, you know, I bet 10% of the town goes to church in a given week. So it's a pretty, pretty small percentage. Um, but no one's going to give money for you to move to La Grande, Oregon to plant a church unless you're a denomination that's in the Northwest. And they probably got maybe a third of their funding covered. And so the rest has to be covered by either your spouse working or some sort of bivocational arrangement. And the reality is if God's called you, he's going to give you what you need. The question is just saying, God, what do you want me to do in this season? And being responsive to say, even if it's only for a while, I think all church planners should be bivocational while they're raising support and the first year before they launch. Mm-hmm. Now, this may be controversial to some of the launch large people, but what happens is you meet lots of lost people and you gain a certain respect for all of your key volunteers who are going to be giving their time after work to participate in your ministry. Because if you've only ever been in ministry and then you're stepping into this new role and then you're wondering why the people on your launch team don't have enough time because they've got these 40 and 50 and 60 hour week jobs, you need to deeply appreciate and and really honor the work that people around you are doing so that when they give you their precious time after work and before work and on the weekend, that you you honor it in a serious way. So that's that's the big picture I'd say about about location is it really doesn't matter where you are. It matters like, okay, what's God calling me to do in this place? Uh, that's excellent. I, I got a couple of thoughts, but I want to keep, I want to keep it moving, um, you know, on that part um, in, in limited um, strictly to funding. Um, how do you, how do you know? So when, when people are trying to set their launch date and I know everybody wants to launch on Easter and or this week that's the other week <laughs> right now our anniversary is this week as a church <laughs> is it really yeah yeah oh that's great um so what where should you be financially before you set that launch date on the calendar or what financial plan should you have set and 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 i would assume just like just like it's just like there's a problem with like overfunding because it creates all that expectation. Is there a similar dynamic that happens with over, over planning uh, that that could also create that similar risk? Uh, so, so where should a church planter be in terms of setting a date relationship in relationship to their funding? This is going to depend on the model of ministry you're using. Um, there's kind of a, there's a, a template for launch large and that is, about a year to 18 months before you launch, you move to the city. A year out, you announce the church. You do interest meetings four months out. You do soft launch services six weeks out. Yeah. And then you launch. And it's going to be Easter. It's going to be the second week of September. Like those are, I'm, I'm not joking. It's like 90% of churches have those two weeks as their um, as their anniversary. So, so that's real. And I, I think that honestly, that's about what we did. We moved in August of 2016. We launched September of 2017. And during that time, I did a church planting residency slash consulting kind of role with a church here in town. Um, we raised a little bit of money and we we decided to launch because we had our we kind of hit our our launch team like number. We had 30 adults and we were like, okay, we think that's enough to put on a Sunday gathering. We have enough to kind of do setup and tear down enough to do worship and kids. And we could actually provide something to people who were new to faith. And so for us, it was about hospitality capacity. And for us, it was also, we couldn't meet in a house anymore because we had, there's about 60 with kids and it was too much for a house. So we had to meet publicly outside of a home and so we were pushed by our evangelism and our discipleship to say, actually, we need to be we need to be in the open and we need to have a regular gathering space. And I also think missionally, the answer should be if you're trying to reach lost people and Sunday mornings is the time that they'll show up at church, then you start a Sunday service to invite them into. And it's about sharing your faith with them and about having a space to invite them into that's open to them, where a house may be a little bit too intimate for a lot of people to start their faith journey. So I, I don't think that's a bad thing. 
And at the same time, I'd say some of you need to, we, we talked about this before, but some of you need to go share your faith, see some people come to Christ, disciple them in your homes before you plant a church. And you're going to need more time to kind of build up your muscles to prepare because Sunday's not going to fix that thing. If you can't gather people around you, if you can't invite people to your team, um, there's one church planner I know who kind of strong armed his in-laws into helping him plant a church. And he ended up with like 12 people at his launch because he thought if he just started a service, people would show up and they don't. People won't just show up because there's a service. They show up because they're invited by people. So if you, so it's like, to me, the timing totally depends on, was I able to build a team? And as soon as I built the team and we can't meet in the house, then we say, okay, we're going to set a date and start working towards that launch. So financially, yes, you're going to need people who give. Uh, we, we had about $30,000. We spent about 15000 in uh, mostly used equipment. And then we had... 15,000 and our rent for the building was like 1500 a month. So it was something we could afford long-term. And I also didn't take a salary. So we were able to kind of prolong that, have a, have a longer runway and I could work during the week. And honestly, if you just have a service and a small group, yeah. it's not a full-time job. <laughs> like, yeah. like Putting on a sermon and leading a team and doing a discipleship group is not a full-time job as much as we all want it to be. And we want to spend 25 hours a week on a sermon for 50 people. That's not necessary. So it's okay to be bivocational at the beginning. Now our, our community is at a place where we have about 170 people and they're, they're really asking more of me now. And I'm at, I'm at a point where I'm, I'm at a breaking point and I can't keep going in a bivocational direction. So I'm having to really make some hard choices about my life. And that should be the reason why you step in or why you change is because it, the mission demands it rather than out of like your values, I think. I love it. You know, I was actually going to put you on the spot and ask you what came first, 30 people on your, your launch team or hundred thousand dollars raised in the bank. And it sounds like you answered that it was 30 people on the, on the launch team. Yeah. And, and the better you do at raising a launch team, the more you're going to have regular givers to start. And that right. that's really important because if, if you don't have that, it's going to be hard to maintain with a run rate of a year or two. You're going to run out of money before you make it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think this is the spot to pause on. Yep. Um, I, w- I want to give you a, a moment to think of like a last thought. Um, I just wanted to set up our next conversation. Um want to talk more about team building, um, APEST and what it looks like to build a team and launch with a t- launch a team, launch with a team. Uh, so that's coming up next on the Wednesday edition. Uh, Robert, any final thoughts that you have for us as we prayerfully work out this idea of fundraising for bivocational church planting or, or any other fundraising ideas? I think I think there's two um, there's two misconceptions about church planting that most church planters have. The first is um, there will never be enough money, and I have to I have to take control and make sure that we have enough through my own skills, and I've got to raise enough money, and I've got to push people to give because it's on me. Yeah. And the other side says that church planting is a way to get to freedom in my time and in my money by if I, if I build a big enough church, there'll, there'll be tons of money that I can use both for myself and for the ministry that I'm called to. And both of those are ditches on the same road. They're just on opposite sides of the same road. Mm-hmm. And what a faithful church planner says is God, where do you want me to go? Mm-hmm. And then they set out on the road saying, I trust that God's going to provide. We see Jesus when he sends out his first 70 out onto the streets. He says, don't take anything with you. Know that where you go, I will have set aside people who will be people of peace, who will be the hospitality that you need, who will provide for you along the road. Mm. And so for us, the work is to say, I'm going to set my face like Flint where God has called me. And then every step along the way, never get ahead of ourselves by taking on too much debt or by taking on maybe a a spending rate that's higher than we can sustain and never holding back because we don't have it in hand, but saying, God, 
We trust that you're going to bring what we need as we go, both in terms of people and money. And I'm going to go where you've called me. And I'm going to stay on that journey until you release me from it. And that what that does is it gives you the faith to say, I'm going to be okay and believe in my soul. I'm going to be safe because my father cares for me. Not because I'm good at fundraising, but because God is with me in this journey. I love it. That's a good, good word. And a perfect place for us to end on. Hey, I'm enjoying this conversation. Yeah, me um, too. For, uh, let me fire these questions out at you. Yeah. Well, next week, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked about jumping into APEST and like team leadership because I think there's a lot to be said about that. Maybe maybe this is a multi, multi-episode one too. We'll have to hit. That's great. Uh, let's, let's, let's stay on that. All right. You want to do the tagline this week? Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. Give it a roll. Let's see. <laughs> do I know the, do I know the tagline? Hey, thanks for joining us, everybody. If you want to reach the people that no one else is reaching, you got to go to the places that no one else is going. And do what no one else is doing. <laughs> the third clause. <laughs> so close. You were just like right, right on the edge. You're like looking at me like, finish it. I'm like, that, that's it, right? <laughs> All right, friends. See you next week. Grace and peace. Later. Thanks for listening to today's episode. This episode was brought to you by Church Web Builder. If you've been meaning to scrap your terrible WordPress church website, or you just need to actually sit down and make your church plants website, let this be assigned to you. With Church Web Builder's library of church-specific templates and integrations, and the included all-in-one marketing and communication platform, a beautiful new website is literally sitting there waiting for you to take it. Go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER at checkout. You'll get 50% off your first year. Yes, 50 50% off your entire first year. Again, go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER. For more from the Church Planter Podcast, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at Church Planter Podcast and on Twitter at C Planter Mag. We'd love to connect. See you next time.